Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. This is the conversation we had a little bit earlier with myself, Martin and Harry Mac Evansonia, Mr. Election Projections himself, the foggy Jew himself. Uh, we talk about the polls, news of the week, Irish politics and where things are going. And then Harry offers us his insights into what has been a tumultuous, and that's been kind, week in Israel-Palestine. Uh, and we talk in great detail about what it means to the Israeli community, the Jewish community at, lar- at large. And Harry uh, talks from a personal perspective about how this whole conflict has upset him greatly. And I think yeah, it's really well worth listening to. I have to stress there's also an additional patron-only version of this podcast went out because we discussed things that we simply cannot say outside of the paywall. It's been that kind of week. It's been that kind of troubling week. It's been so fucking traumatic that we've had threats, so certain things couldn't be said. Uh, but that's available for our patrons. So if you're a member, if you're a member at patreon.com forward slash tortoise uh, it's there in your feed now. If you're not a member, we would love you to join us. We'd love you to support and keep this work going. We think it has value. If you think it has value, pay it forward and keep it free for everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Thanks for everybody who liked and shared and gave us feedback this week. I'd really encourage you to listen to what Harry has to say. I'm proud to call him a friend. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and this is kind of one of those rapid weeks. We have missed a couple of them. We've done a lot of patron-only exclusives in the last couple of weeks. We ha- I don't know we actually... Martin, we haven't missed the kind of you and me patron show for Sundays in a while, but we haven't kind of also done a, a public one uh, for, for a few weeks because things have been so bloody hectic. And thank you, first of all, for everybody who has shared, listened to, and recommended people in relation to the coverage that we've done on Israel-Palestine. We really appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, who reached out to check in on our contributors to see how everybody's doing. It's a lot at the moment. It's an awful lot. Um, and we will obviously discuss that in some detail, but let's broaden the discussion for the day that's in it. We are delighted to be rejoined by our good friend, Mr. Election Projections himself, Harry McEvan Sonia. Harry, it's good to see you. How are you keeping? Yeah, it's good to be good to be back. Um, dealing with the tail end of uh, COVID at the moment, so not 100%, but I'm 99, no, 95 1999, somewhere in that ballpark. So uh, I think I won't hold you back too much today. Well, as 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 a, as a statistician, you should be more certain about your numbers here. Uh, God, I'm not a statistician. <laughs> <laughs> I am a rank amateur. <laughs> I, I, Harry, can we can we let's let's be fair. Let's try and let's try and start with the uh, the, the the way the polls have trended. We saw an upsurge um, for Sinn Fein in the most recent ones, but we also saw, I think it was at the BNA today, that kind of shows a, a little bit of a um, back to. Uh, a, like a one percent rise for Fine Gael, a one percent down for Fine Fall, and but that's kind of is that indicative of BNA as well? Has, has is that are my are they are they kind of always tending to lean a bit more that Fine, Fine Gael do better with them than Fine Gael or than Fine Fall? And and is am I just sort of saying well when you do your poll of polls it might it all might all wash out now? Yeah, it, it does wash out a bit. And what we've seen, obviously, the sort of the, the break that happens towards the end of the summer uh, in polling before we kind of get back into it. Um, and honestly, there hasn't been a huge amount that's changed uh, over that period. Things are still fairly, honestly, fairly stable. And when you see those kind of, you know, one point, two point up, down things, those are really just individual fluctuations. It's very difficult to draw any conclusions from that. And obviously, newspapers have to because they paid a lot of money for this and they can't go up and run a story being like, 
everything's the same. So they have to make those small differences into a into a big difference. But like what we've seen has been like fairly consistent. If you look back over the last while, um, you know, Sinn Fein are moving up slightly after spending some time in the lower 30s towards the lower mid 30s. But again, we're looking at a, an overall trend of a couple of points. Fine Gael, similarly, we're seeing more polls below 20 recently. But again, they were previously, I know 20 seems like a big milestone, but previously they were in like the 2021 range. So it's not a huge amount. And what we've kind of seen, I think, is what we've seen a few times before is Sinn Féin will kind of go up into that 34, 35, drop down to the low, to like the low 30s, come back up again, but without any like meaningful trend evolving. And we won't know until we start at that, that that pattern is changing until we actually see it happen, until we see a lot of information around that. Um, you do see, I think, a lot of um, uncertainty now around the smaller parties in particular at the moment. That's where we're seeing bigger movement. Now, that's not super surprising because they're, you're dealing with a smaller, more volatile sample of people. It's easier to miss their support levels. We know that generally the accuracy of those will be lower because of geographic distribution and stuff. Um, one thing that I thought is small thing but is, is quite interesting is uh, Labour have been having a really rough time. Uh, over the last few weeks. Again, caveat on those numbers, but you know they're very much in a position where holding any of their seats is really going to be an uphill struggle. The SOC Dems have, like, I think, settled with an increased uh, vote, although they did have one quite poor poll recently, mm. but they haven't shown like a big breakthrough. And the Greens are still hanging on. As as everyone's like, oh, the Greens are going to be annihilated, and they're, they're, they might lose all their doll seats. But if these numbers hold going into a local election, they're going to do better than people think they are. Um, unless there is a, unless the polls are wrong or there's a substantial you're, you're, change. You're, you, can you, so there's a lot there, of narratives any, that aren't quite Have you any good news for us? Any good news for us at all? No. <laughs> no, <laughs> not, just, not really, just, to be I honest I just want to be on, on the... There was one thing that I, I did mean to ask you previously because one of the... Straight away when the boundaries were redrawn, everybody went to, you know, certain narratives emerged immediately and a lot of people didn't actually take the time to listen to yourself and Kevin Cunningham talk about it on, on the pod because you you both spoke about the fact that this idea that you know the smaller parties of the left were going to be wiped out by this in these areas and you were like you were one of the first you were the first person actually to point out well they don't run candidates in those areas anyway there's no representation and um, was that frustrating to see that narrative emerge because it really it really gained traction that Sinn Féin are going to destroy um, PBP's vote in North Tipperary you know like it was it was crazy <laughs> stuff well, it's 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 hardly surprising because I mean that's been the narrative since Sinn Fein started doing well, which has been oh, Sinn Fein are going to destroy the smaller parties. That's been a narrative since since day one, and it's never been substantiated. This is this is the crazy thing about it. There has never been any evidence of this. Like polling levels, again, we can put a caveat on that and say it's difficult to know. But Dublin is the place where Sinn Fein have shown the least growth uh, in polling since the last election. Um, it's probably one of their poorest areas, and that's the area where small small left-wing parties don't exist much outside of Dublin, realistically. Um, they do have a few seats and councillors outside of there, but it's very, very small when you compare it to in Dublin. So the narrative was never supported by the information. If you look at it, Sinn Féin's rise among ABC1s, who would be mostly Fine Gael voters and also Fine Fáil voters, um, that's been a very significant. They've been leading in that category for quite some time. So again, this idea that like, Sinn Féin are just going to squeeze the left out of existence. Sinn Féin have pulled towards the centre because for two reasons. Firstly, because that's where the votes are. Like The left-wing parties, as much as we're on the left, the reality is they have a very small vote share 
compared to, compared to that. You also have much less floating voters. You have people who are quite committed. Yeah, and uh, 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 a, Marx, a Marxist isn't going to turn around and say, I'll give Fianna Fáil a, a vote, you know? Well, well Bertie maybe, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, <he did>. actually, <laughs> actually, <laughs> for one moment... Like, I, in my hand, I have a copy of the Communist Manifesto written by Karl Marx, Frederick Engels, and Bertie Ahern, folks. So, <laughs> <laughs> line of the day goes to Harry. <laughs> That's it. But yeah, no, there, there's never been any evidence of that, but it's been a, a favoured media narrative because it's easy to talk about. Um, it's up there with Sock Dems and Labour merging. It just It's like, this This isn't reality, but it's, it's easy copy. People want to read it because they like these stories, so... Why not? But it's never been supported by the it's never been supported by the numbers that Sinn Fein are going to pull a majority of support away from the left. It's it's from the centre, and that's where they're positioning themselves. Yeah, there's a, I suppose in these these articles, you're never going to get uh, no significant change, all within the margin of error. I mean, nobody's going to write that after paying out wads of cash for the poll. But what is interesting, Harry, and what is very obvious is that the Oh, and not even the permanent old guard, but the old guard is disappearing out of Fianna Fianna Gael. Now, that's really interesting. Yeah, we've had quite a few, quite a few retirements. Um, And some of them are probably going to be quite significant. Like, I I would say whether or not somebody like Joe McHugh runs is, that's a seat in Donegal. Um, Charlie Farrington, as much as I think he's atrocious and appalling and a disgrace, um, much harder to hold a seat uh, without him. Uh, running for it, um, I suppose okay that's it. These are these are these are pivotal vote getters that have stepped out of the scene. Without actually, uh, uh, there is no Padawan coming up behind them. There is nobody that they have brought up as their alternative face. Harry, they're just walking away saying, "I fill my bags, I'm out by." That's it. Yeah, there is a bit of that. Look, on the one hand, we never know. Like, how much do I know about local councillors in Donegal? Very, very, very little. So there may be somebody. There may be somebody. Um, but it does seem challenging. And I think when you look at somewhere like Dublin Bay North, for example, um, there's probably a big enough Fine Gael vote to hold the seat there anyway. But I can name Fine Gael councillors from there. And maybe that's because I'm from Dublin. Um, but that's not to say that there aren't people in other areas. It's just that I'm ignorant of that. So there's a lot of assumptions that go into this when we talk about how long my concern is that they haven't given themselves an awful lot of time to do that transition like we're we're at the end of 2023 now an election is at most i think what a year and a half away yeah, 15 months um, really and realistically yeah. you know that's that's not a ton of time and we know from the local elections from conversations i've had with people in almost every single political party that they're having trouble getting people running that uh, people are very disengaged at the moment even within political parties uh from the electoral process so when you've got like 15 months to fill a really big pair of shoes sure maybe there is somebody in the wings that i'm not aware of but you would almost have preferred if these people had sort of announced this a year ago to give you more time to prepare and it feels like people are reacting can i give you a real life example of that harry a real life example of that now is my own constituency where you know, former TD then then failed to get re-elected. Noel Rock went into work, as you know, as a lobbyist and then joined a company that works on, um, effectively is a, a lobbying group. And all week it's been told by really reliable sources with access to Fine Gael that, he's going, that they're going to run him again in this constituency because in that window since the last election, they haven't brought through anybody, you know, to represent Fine Gael that they feel has enough uh, name recognition it's it's a strange one um because obviously you know 
uh, it, it'd be strange to see someone go from lobbyist try from go from lobbyist to TD. It's it's not unusual to see someone go from TD to lobbyist. But nonetheless, this is the reality that that we seem to live in now. So it's it it is strange. One of the things that you said earlier, to me, and I meant to come back to you. You said Labour have had a really bad time of it, and it is it is actually quite telling to see the demise of that party is actually worse and underreported than than in, it has been in the last few years because you know the the Bachik bounce and with all with no not having want to have a go at Ivana Bachik but it it just fizzled out and they do seem to be very much flailing about and there is no real interest in in the the continuation and I don't know if you like I know it's a really silly comparison to make but um, they they uh, how do I put this? Oliver Callan, uh, in his sketch sketches where he makes fun of politicians. One of the things is he called um he he was interviewing in one of his voices from RT. He was interviewing Ivana Bachik and he said, "Coming up next is is the better Ivana Bachik and it's Holly Cairns." And it is really starting to you know become that narrative. And as you know, in polling in politics. Narratives, stories actually can can really matter, and Labour's demise is is really not something that should be welcomed in terms of the trade union movement. Not something that should be welcomed in terms of you know how politics should run. I mean, Martin's smiling at me, but but I don't think, um, La- you know, I don't see Labour being as as bad as say what Keir Starmer's come out with in the last few weeks. Martin, you know, uh, Harry, Harry, I think you're for- I think you're forgetting. The austerity. I'm not forgetting. Any, I'm not forgetting any of it, Martin. None of it. I'm just thinking the network, the the hundred years of history, the the. Oh, oh, there is. I I've said this plenty of times. There is certainly a structure there in uh, labour that would be a loss if it just disappeared. That's why, and and I know Harry, you're saying it's pie in the sky, but sooner or later. Labour's going to either disappear or merge with somebody else. It may be the Sock Dems, it may not, but they have lost the public and they will never, ever get them back. Ever. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's interesting. I've had this conversation with people I know in the Labour Party for a while, and I think it does, it comes back to what you, you said, like Labour have always gone through these cycles of getting into government, making a mess of it, becoming unpopular, and then recovering. But this time they have not recovered. And I don't know if it's that they don't know how to, that there's a lack of willingness to acknowledge all of the problems that they did. And there's a lack of willingness to evolve the party. Like, what do Labour stand for at the moment? They have policies, they have, it's all fine, it's all like standard centre-left stuff, but it's like, look, there is nothing to indicate that this party is different from the party that went into government and did austerity and did all of that. There's not a lot of young blood in Labour at the moment as well, which is concerning. A lot of the people were still involved during that period. Um, I do think as well, and you look at like what happened with the Green Party, and look, it's been. I think people would probably draw 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 this as broadly similar to their previous stint in government, but there was a massive effort made to reinvent what the party stood for during that the period in the fallow years after the party got wiped out the first time. Um, so that changed. That brought people back, and it brought their support level actually higher than ever. Labour haven't been able to do that, and haven't been willing to do that. And you can argue that you know it's, it's cynical or whatever, but there is there's a lack of inventiveness. Even putting Batchik as leader, it's it's a throwback. It's somebody who's being rewarded for past work. It's somebody who, in their own right, is popular and is well known, 
Um, but as we've seen, the evidence is does not have the broad appeal to yeah, show yeah. that labor has changed and that dy- dynamism. Labor are polling. That's all very fine margin stuff. Again, we're dealing with small numbers, but pretty consistently, labor are polling worse uh, than they were under Alan Kelly. And I don't think that's Patrick's fault. I, like, I think that would have happened anyway. But it's a show. It's a sign that nothing has been done to reverse the stagnation of Labour as a small marginal party in Irish politics. I don't think they will lose all of their seats because, like, you're looking at statistically, they're not favoured to hold any. But when you take, you know, six seats altogether, some of them are going to, you know, the balances are going to wash out. But we could be looking at a Labour party with one, two, three seats after the next election if things don't change. Uh, that's a disaster. And also, speaking of retirements, they've had some high-profile yeah, retirements so now. That's, the redrawals have been very, very bad for them. Like, they're in serious trouble, and there will be people who will celebrate the demise of the Labour Party, and I think for good reason. Um, but I think it's, 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 it's it, on the bigger scale, it's a lost opportunity. Like, this, there, there is no... Like, they, they blew their chance. They had a chance to change Irish politics when they came into government as the second biggest party in the doll, and they blew it so badly and i think that's the legacy that failure that missed opportunity uh i mean when you think back harry when you think back it was it was the moment when even a nominally left party could have taken government in this country if they just held out but they didn't. They did exactly as the Greens did. They sold out for Mercs and Perks. And I have no sympathy for them. Zero. They hurt so many people. I will never, ever forget nor forgive. And I hope there's plenty like me. Well, I would imagine there. I would imagine you're in the majority, Martin, and the polls bear that out. I just think it's a it's a tragic loss of institutional memory, the the networking across the country with abilities. We I just made the point when when we started this <coughs> that there is not enough small um, left parties in rural constituencies. Labour have that ability to to run candidates in those areas. They're just not. They're just not what people are looking for. Look, we, we've spent a lot, enough on this. I just want to mention really briefly before we maybe get to the PAC and RTE, Martin. But I want to mention the the, the freeze in, in staffing in the HSC and um and you know coming out of the budget and how it's actually effectively a budget cut. And now they're admitted, running to admit that there'll need to be a supplementary budget. You know, so the budget doesn't actually count because don't worry about the budget. We'll do another budget again, and um, we'll have to do something to fix this. But the idea, you know, that um, that we're going to have this and everybody's saying, well, isn't that just stupid? And you're going, well, is anybody going to point to the fact that within that, put it up against the fact that that, that we've just had tax cuts to $1.1 billion a year. We've given USC cuts. We've given moving of the tax bans. We've given people, uh, I'm like, what was it? Was it uh, angel investors getting a tax incentive of half a, half a million for any investment? Like, we're having tax cuts and tax subsidies. And then you're saying, well, there's not enough money to actually give the money that the HSE said they need and the government accepted that they needed 18 months ago, where you have to the point where Sinn Féin's Pierre Stardy's going into the doll saying, I feel sorry, I feel so bad for Stephen Donnelly. I mean, Harry, you couldn't ever imagine the Sinn Féin um, uh, uh, TD standing up saying, I feel bad for a minister for health. You couldn't have put, you couldn't have thought that was coming. Now, that was weird. Um, uh, look, maybe they're you know, sign of things to come. Uh, oh, I hear you, Harry. I hear but, uh, you. Yeah, it was odd to see. Um, it was odd to see. I think there is a 
point at which you can say, yeah, you know, uh, taking over as the Minister for Health is a poison chalice and nobody has been good at it for a very, very, very long time. Certainly not that I can remember in my lifetime anyway. Uh, but on the other hand, you're also the Minister for Health. You take responsibility for this shit like you're, you, you, you wanted this role. Um, so, yeah, no sympathy for Stephen Donnelly. Uh, a lot of sympathy for a lot of people who are involved in the health service, obviously, uh, who are dealing with the on-the-ground consequences of the disorder, I think, that we're seeing continued here. Like, the fact they can't even set a budget correctly is... Well, when you think about it, my friend, and I will keep saying this, my friend and whistleblower Shane Corr is suspended for saying the HSC hasn't clue about its finances now robert watt came out two weeks ago and agreed yeah that's the case we haven't a fucking clue is he suspended no he's not he should be he should be fired his ass should be fired out the door but no my friend the whistleblower is suspended for telling the truth so you know this whole debacle could have been sorted long ago if they'd listened to whistleblowers but they don't well, I just say they don't. And again, we, we Shane was proven correct. It is an injustice what's happened to Shane. Absolutely, Martin. But what I'm trying to get to is the point that we're still at the situation whereby adequate provision for CAMs, adequate provision for people who need mental health assessments, never mind the supports they need, just get the assessments done. They don't exist. And now there's a recruitment freeze and they've admitted that they'll need a supplementary budget at a time when we're being told we have, you know, a budget surplus that would make um, King Midas blush and we're putting billions away into two different funds to, well, to yeah two rainy day funds yeah. yeah so because so just because it's only pissing on your pals martin it's actually grand where i am so it's all right then you know and that's the kind of like i'm not i'm making you know i'm making light of it but it's not, not look can we move on because i'm conscious of time i want to talk about a little bit about a couple of things and martin you probably didn't listen to it because i know yeah you you just think that the whatever you say is the is the final word on everything but um there was uh, an appearance in the PAC uh, this week by RTE. Kevin Backhurst showed up and he made some really what I would call missteps. He he decided that, you know, we couldn't discuss some of the issues that, that, that the PAC asked. Fair questions where public money was being used to, to finance yep. things. And he decided, no, we, ca- we can't give you the answers to that. Now, like, you know this, Martin, and I know this. Uh, the likes of uh, Simon Coveney's brother, um, who left RTE, got a golden handshake. We- I have heard so. Yeah, no, no, I, no, have, heard I, so. I have it in writing. Um, I so so I'm happy enough if they're upset with me. I I have it in writing. But it, we know that members of of, of the board who st- who who stepped down got redundancy packages. That's not how redundancy works, right? If you you have to be made redundant, you don't get to step down and then get a redundancy package. That's really fucked up. Um, and then I also know one of the others, like someone, like we're talking, and we're not talking unsubstantial amounts of money here we're talking thousands of euros hundreds of thousands Tony and, hundreds of thousands and they're looking for taxpayers money to keep RTE going now I will also make a really cheap shot 
uh, I listened to Fionan Sheen and Eamon Dunphy discuss this this morning, and they and they said, well, RT gets state subsidies for, uh, and they said, hey, you know, this is you know this is not great. You know, um, we have to look at this. Sorry, lads, but you know, you as well have every second ad on your newspaper, every second ad on your podcast is an initiative by the government of Ireland or a message from Irish Water or something from Solace or Springboard. Like we're all, you're all caught up in this money because the government is probably one of the biggest advertisers in the company as, and sorry, in the country as well. But Martin, they all seem to just say, well, look. It's twenty million for bogus self-employment. It'll take fifteen years to come out, and um, and look, sure, we'll we'll just move on. You're grinning at me now, so have at it. Your time, go, big man. Couple of things first. He refused to give the details uh, that the PAC were looking for on Tuberty. He needs to give those details now. Tuberty's story is a really small story, but it seems to be where the papers have kept their focus on. And the the big story was, oh, loss and license fee, loss and license fee. Well, the loss from bogus self-employment is more than the loss in license fee. And I kept telling, I told Fiona Shea on this to his, uh, personally, I told him. I've told them all. All the newspapers know that RT is bankrupt right now. They all know for a fact that RT is bankrupt But what I've been told is that nobody wants to be the first to point the finger. That's what I've been told. So the PAC is told that it's going to take 15 years to do a review of 700 workers who are bogusly self-employed. Question is, why is it a review and not an audit? They made a voluntary qualifying uh, payment of 1.22 million. They've now admitted that they underestimated that by a factor of 20. The next legal step for the Department of Social Welfare is a full audit of RTE. Heather Humphreys is refusing to comply with the obligations of her office, which is why she's there in the first place. She has form for this. That's why she's there. She refuses to treat RTE as a social welfare cheat and we end up paying for it and eventually the EU is going to turn around and say, that's illegal state aid. You can't do that. So we will end up paying for it on the triple. As you said, Tony, the senior management are getting huge payoffs. Yet these workers are not getting paid a single penny of what they're owed once they've been through the scope process. They get nothing. They then have to take a legal case against RTE themselves to recoup what was lost. But that's missing is the minister, every single one of those 150 cases is not 149, it's 150. And you know this from six weeks ago. I showed you the letter, Tony. So even Backhurst in there is already way behind date, already giving them wrong figures. So... The senior manager getting paid off. These guys have to go to court then if they want what they're owed because Heather Humphreys is refusing to act according to her office and prosecute RTE for bogus self-employment, which is fraud under Section 251, 252 and 254 of the Social Welfare Consolidation Act. And every politician in this country is utterly fucking cowardly that they won't pull the trigger and say bogus self-employment is fraud. The department has said it. They told the Oireachtas Committee so in 2019. So until the politicians and the journalists in this country grow some balls, RT will continue to suck down taxpayers' money unlawfully, illegally, illegal state aid. Sooner or later, it's all going to come crashing down. And I can't wait. You know, 
first of all, bravo, really well done. I have to say, I thought that was really well uh, delivered. I will say the other thing is, and Harry, you, you'll remember this, you know, every time the state ignores it, ignores it, ignores it, and Martin says something like illegal state aid, we end up paying fines for it. We get we end up getting fines, so we we'll, we are going to be this, hugely. This is what this is what happens. Look, I, I look. Thanks for that, Martin, and I really mean that. Genuinely, really well done. And I think people want to get a, a get a grip of themselves and actually call it what it is, because you know the you don't get to interpret the laws just because they don't suit you. No, no, Heather Humphreys can't decide no, no. that this person is is guilty uh, of so. Mar- this person Mar- will Martin, be Martin, this I'm, I'm going to say somewhere you're wrong. If you change Heather Humphreys with, with um, Frank fucking McGlynn or or. or Billy, Barry, fucking kids, they'll all do the same because they're all following the same fucking playbook. It's not Heather Humphrey specifically. She's in the, she's in the seat right now. We had, we, the hot we, seat, ha- we yeah. had the same shit when, when it was Regina Doherty and we had the same shit when it all rolled on. So let's not go there. Um, I want to say, obviously, the big story this week is the uh, rugby world. No, haha. <laughs> uh, couldn't, couldn't. <laughs> I, I've just, I've just lost, I've just lost our last 15. 15- <coughs> Our last 15 remaining um, ABC1 patrons, they're gone. <laughs> That's the end of that. I, I had to be careful. I wanted to put up a tweet Don't. last night about the rugby. Don't. And I had to be so careful because, you know, people get very touchy oh. about this funny ball shape. Did, did you hear what I said? I said, no. I, I said, I know you're all tempted to put up a tweet about, you know, ha ha team of us. But that they will put up your rent the moment, moment you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, forgive us, forgive us that little little moment. But look, um, uh, hey, some, I, some of my best friends are rugby fans, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having once gone to an Elvries, I can I can say that's true, you know. Um, but but look, I just look a couple of really quick things. Sunday Business Post reporting on a, on the on a huge gap in the Irish Dublin, particularly commercial property. I find it quite funny. We've been talking about it on this podcast for 18 months that it's been tanking that there's been subsidies you know you, you knew it was bad when so- Simon Coveney was coming out saying maybe we'll have to do something about the um, about the commercial units I the best one for me was a few weeks ago where there's a parody um, I don't know Harry if you saw this there's a parody YouTuber who does these kind of mad um, uh, architect things where he says he's and, and his, his tagline is this totally pencils is what he says, right? He says this. To- uh, so he he redrew blocks in Dublin with uh, with like no. Well, it only has one window, but it's four bedrooms, and it, it'll and and if you turned and if you turn the couch sideways, it'll totally pencil, right? And he put this video up on 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 Twitter with his YouTube link. What happened? News talk. News talk replied to him. And asked, and asked if he'd come on and talk about his his plans to redesign Dublin apartment blocks. So it just shows you these people haven't a fucking clue, uh, and it goes across the board. So yeah, look, th- that's then. Other thing, uh, shout out to Tommy Bow, who yet again proves himself as Ireland's best political yeah, commentator. Yeah, he's bloody good. At, now, okay, it, it's Tommy. Bloody good! No, it's because the rest are bloody awful. No, no, awful. no. no I, the difference is actually Tommy Bow doesn't have to worry about getting kicked out of the Paul Core group WhatsApps with Finnafall and Finnegale, and that is a hundred percent true because I've seen these these groups exist and how the how the rumor mill goes. So sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes a lot of political correspondent work is gossip column work and. You know, we see it with that. So Tommy Bow just simply by saying, "Where are you going to get the teachers from?" Uh, the fact that it was so revel- so revelatory is just is really telling. Anyway, um, 
I want to talk now a little bit about Israel-Palestine, but I am going to talk, just for, just for the benefit of patrons, you can, you can stay tuned. There's going to be a gap now if you're not a patron because there's stuff I can say inside the paywall and the stuff I can't say inside the pay. I, want, I, I can't say in public right now. So, so just give me a few seconds and, and, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Some of the things, obviously, that we can really talk about much more openly are, you know, the examples that we've seen from Ursula von der Leyen running off to have her picture taken with members of the Israeli government without a mandate and then coming home and saying that she finding out that she's created a shitstorm and then saying, well, oh, I've created a shitstorm and now I'm going to treble aid to the people who are struggling in Gaza. First of all, and we'll be very clear about this, I'm sick of repeating it, but it has to be repeated because some people want us to repeat it. You don't counter the atrocities like what Hamas did by carrying out more atrocities on other people. You don't carry, that's not how this works. We have to, you don't destroy infrastructure, people's homes, and then say, here's a voucher for, for phone chargers or whatever it is. This is not going to build a sustainable and lasting sense of peace cohesion and, and maybe an opportunity for people to to see that there's a, a longer uh a, over the arc of time things can get better and 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 harry i'm, I'm really glad that you're here today to, to, and i don't want to put you on the spot but you must see these things play out politically and just rack your head because this has gone on for as long as we've been alive it's gone on before we were alive we've seen it you know um never it's it's in these binary terms, but it's, life isn't binary, and we have to be much more, um, you know. If not, first of all, right on the on the on the record, you know, we we've no time for anybody who's using this to weaponize Jew hate. Uh, it, there's been a lot of that. It's just been really disgusting. I heard, I listened to um, American conservatives saying that one of the reasons they should find common ground with the um, with Hamas, would you believe it, was because there'll never be drag hour, or drag story time in in Gaza where. Whereas there might be, whereas there could be in Tel Aviv. I mean, Harry, this stuff is deplorable, and no one should be making turning atrocities like what happened on Saturday, the seventh of October, into mass atrocities now. Yeah, look, I, I think you've, uh, and obviously, it's easy for us to have this conversation sitting, you know, safe at home in Ireland. Um, but you know, there is what we've seen has been. Uh, tragic and appalling uh, and the response to it is you know can you build a big enough pile of bodies to compensate for the pile of bodies on your own side from israel and that's obviously not uh, not going to solve anything um it, it, it strikes me that um and it's interesting because you see a lot of talk on online people saying oh you know israel has this plan this attention to do this, I don't, I don't think they do, and that's terrifying. I, I genuinely do not think that Israel has a plan as to what it's going to do here. Uh, this is completely against all of the defense concepts that they were running. This is totally unexpected, and it feels like they're the only thing they can think of doing is let's just kill and blow up as much as many people and as much stuff as possible to show that we have, we, we are doing something. And uh, like, at what point? an escalation like that can be reined in that's the that's the scary part it's like not to excuse anything that has been done before but right now it just feels like there there, there was always a level of 
mutually, and I, I hate using this phrase, but there was always a level of almost mutually acceptable destruction between uh, the government of Israel and Hamas, that there would always be a certain level of things they would do and a certain level of what both sides would consider to be acceptable collateral, um, which would obviously more often, well, I think actually every time, um, resulted in much, much higher casualties of, among Palestinian civilians who would bear the brunt of whatever happened. Uh, and that was always acceptable now. We don't know what the limit is for what Israel are going to do. And it's horrific, uh, the potential that's being faced by, by people in Gaza. And again, it's, you know, it feels almost weird saying this, you know, sitting here being like, I'm trying to look at something where people's lives are being torn apart hundreds, hundreds of miles away that I'll never know and never have to, to deal with. Um, but we see people who sit here and are, you know, cheering on what's happening um people safe at home being like this is this is great people as you say in america picking sides based on whichever one fits into whether they hate jews or palestinians more and cheering for more death and more destruction and asking for revenge uh on people who are in no way involved with any of this is is genuinely awful and um the rhetoric has been unbelievable and then you have um this total lack of uh how can i put this filter of even from well-meaning people like i was having a look online earlier today and i saw you know left-wing politicians in this country who have very good politics on this in general um retweeting uh right-wing disinformation accounts um who they would agree with on nothing because they've latched onto this and are in bad faith and uh, I was very cynical, you know, taking what's being done to the Palestinians and then using this to make their broader objectives. You see people um, misrepresenting images from Palestine as being from Israel. You see people misrepresenting images from Syria, which they never cared about at the time, as being from Palestine. This whole cheerleading mess around it where people whose lives will never be touched by this kind of violence um, wanting more of it. And again, the people who are going to bear the brunt of all of that, as much as you know, we can say yeah, what Hamas did was obviously appalling and awful and an atrocity. But right now, it's Palestinian civilians who are going to who are going to bear the brunt of this, and that needs to be in everybody's mind. Like these aren't abstract things, and you you, you guys know people there. Like these these are real people's real lives that are being treated as abstract numbers, as points score in a in a political game. And when we Obviously, you know, what's happening in people's commentary is, is very secondary, but it does matter when you look at the voices being elevated, when you look at the rhetoric being used, when you look at the encouragement and cover that's being given to these behaviors uh, and to these actions, which are completely appalling. Um, it ultimately all plays a role in, in enabling it, shaping how people view uh, the conflict and also the dehumanization uh, of, of Palestinians and of Jews as well. Um, within this because there are people who want to do that and take advantage of people's ignorance or lack of ability to identify what's true or not on social media. Um, and we just end up with, again, further people who are seeking to make uh, an intractable conflict further intractable. And I want to just close off this by saying, and this is this, this is the thing that people don't seem to realize, this isn't going to end anything. Ismail Haniyeh lives in Qatar under the protection of the Qatari government. Israel can go and win whatever military victory at whatever cost it wants. It's not going to destroy Hamas. This is not going to resolve anything. This is just going to be a 
unprecedentedly brutal escalation of what is already an incredibly brutal situation and has been for decades to come. And but the thing is, I can sit here and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what well, I Harry, I but can I can I say can, can I can I say what I don't know what the solution is oh, either. I'm sorry, I, I just want to make is. one point really clear to to, to I heard it from a few people, friends of mine in Dublin who are members of the Jewish community, and it was expressed that you know that that this has been you know my, Jacob Wolf said my people are going to do something and I don't know what I can do. The, Israel, the state of Israel are not the Jewish people. Okay, they're not responsible. You're not responsible. I'm. I. You're. You're. You're still my friend, Harry McEvans, Sonia, who who cares about all people. That's how I see you. And this is not. This is not a, a judgment of of the Jewish people at all. But it is unfortunately a awful situation that has been allowed to people to profit from. And there's no rational players here. When you have the likes of Ben Gavir handing out. Um, weapons to settlers to shoot at Palestinians in the West Bank. You're, you know, it, it is going to get worse before it gets better, and it's just kind of it's it's soul destroying to know that. I I I don't know, Martin. I know I'll let you come in now, but there was one little moment that that really struck me, whereby you know, to, to and I've said this a few times this week, Yara Al Aga, who was a parliamentary assistant in the Dáil and Leinster House, well known to people is because there's not many Palestinians walking around in the Leinster House bubble. Ten of her family are gone in one, in one missile strike. And then you have to, as Harry really correctly points out, we have to open our newspapers and hear from the likes of David Quinn and the likes to talk about this. And it's just absolutely abhorrent. Um, it's 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 really soul destroying. So so look, sir, thank you, Harry, for expressing that. And but I just want to say, reiterate again, you know, there's no guilt uh, uh, associated with 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 what you're saying. It's just go ahead, Tony. It's fine, and, and I, I I know you don't mean that, but here, here's here's the thing, and I think this is probably what Jacob, who as you yeah. know, I, I don't I don't agree with everything Jacob says, although I, I do hold his opinions in very, very high regard. And he's somebody, even if I disagree with him, I always take what he says very seriously. And he's made me think and reconsider things I've thought as well. Um, you know, I don't, I don't feel responsible for this. Don't get me wrong. I don't feel guilt in the sense that I don't feel direct responsibility. But, you know, there are people who are doing this in our yeah. name. Yeah. You know, and I think when you, somebody like Itamar Ben Gavir is a, people like that are claiming to and this is this makes it you know very i don't mean to be sorry i don't mean to make myself but it, it, it's very difficult doing this because you have um obviously forces that very clearly want to make this an issue about jews but then you also have people like him who are like yeah actually you know what it is it is this is a jewish thing and it's like that is that's the problem i don't feel any like direct personal guilt and i i'm i'm not killing anybody but there are people who are saying we are doing this in all of your names this is this is what we are doing as as the jewish state as the representatives of jewish people and there's obviously a whole load of argument there about israel and the diaspora and the relationship between the two they are it's true they are very heavily interlinked most people in the diaspora will have some family in israel be they or be they maybe very distantly related but they, they will i i know i have like third or fourth cousins who live in Israel. I don't know them. I couldn't tell you their names, but I know they're, they are there. So there'll be that degree of it. But again, there are people who are seeking to to do this. And like somebody like Ben Gavir, 
uh, who seems to want some kind of apocalyptic religious showdown to fundamentally happen. I mean, you know, if you sorry, this is this is might be a little sidebar, but like if you look at what happened when Hamas first infiltrated Israel, a lot of the problem was that a huge amount of the exactly, IDF exactly. are deployed in the West Bank at the moment essentially doing policing operations because these guys want to make life absolute hell for the Palestinians in the West Bank as their priority number one. And they were like, well, Hamas are taking care of Hamas business. And again, we'll have a quote-unquote acceptable escalation at some point. Um, so people like that are, you know, they bear, um, I, I don't, obviously, it's, I hate this idea of, you know, you blame the Jews yourself, but we have to recognize there are people in Israel on the right who claim to be acting as representatives of the entire Jewish people. They're not. That's bullshit. But like their voices have to be recognized as having weight because they do. And it's a bad influence. It's a negative influence. And it's wrong. And it's a lie. But it does still influence how people think and how people address it. And it's very difficult, again, when you're in a swirl of um, propaganda and misinformation arguments around something awful that's happening. Somebody can pick out something. Somebody say, "Well, this minister in Israel has said that this is happening," and it's like, "Yeah, but then, oh God, how do you even unexplain that from somebody?" And they do a huge amount of damage um, through through their through their politics and through their beliefs. Not just obviously the immediate damage that's done to Palestinians on the ground, and obviously through their own incompetent security thing to, to Jews in South Israel, but. To, to Jews globally, not to put all the blame on them, because that's wrong. We're not taking all the blame for the way we're treated. Yeah, yeah. People who are out to get us, genuinely. But people like that do contribute to it because of their rhetoric, because of their actions, and because of the way they seek to mantle themselves with the entirety of Judaism, even though they know full well that is not the case. And, and that's a really important thing to, to point out in all of this. I have to agree with you, Harry. And, and I think you express it better. Thanks for that, Harry. Um, you know, it's your shoes you're in, and, and we have to be able to see it from your point of view, and you very well explained your point of view. I think uh, von der Leyen has exposed something in the EU that we, we anecdotally know existed, but now she's really put her finger on it, that there is an unaccountability and a lurch to the right within the EU um, that... You know, I, I believe it's the only game in town is being in is being in the EU. It is the only game. Be stupid to do what the Brits did and get out of it. It is the only game. But we have to watch the direction. In fact, we have to change the direction. It was originally a project designed and focused on smaller countries. And it did. When you think that, you know, there was a Portuguese leader of the EU, that we've had smaller countries leading the EU. Now we have the big countries back in charge again. And they are very much taking it from the conqueror, the occupier point of view. They are not looking at it from the, the countries in the EU. And there are plenty of countries in the EU who have been occupied and who have been conquered. And they have a different view on occupiers and conquerors than the occupiers and conquerors do of themselves. So I think it has exposed this in the EU. I think uh, von der Leyen's position is untenable, absolutely, utterly untenable. I think she has to go. And I think the idea of having unelected people in the EU, running the EU, I think that all has to come into focus now and say, no, enough of this. It's either democratic or it's not. Um, I don't think leaving is the right thing to do, but I think changing that aspect of it certainly is. Just one point on that, Martin, and it's, it's a scary one. Um, but it's one that I've been sitting with for the last 36 hours, is that we say von der Leyen doesn't speak for us, and we have the right to say that. 
But when you think about it in the wider scheme of things, you know, what Fortress Europe has done, two and a half thousand people dead this year, um, countless others been 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 we're paying other countries to keep them in pens and human pens effectively. We're using how we treat migrants, how we treat people. We have the EU does stand with the oppressor nine times out of ten, you know, and um again you know, Ireland has had a, a good show of solidarity in the last while with what's happened since the Hamas attacks, and I think that's really to be welcomed. But I don't think Ireland has enough of a voice at the table, and I do think the, you know, there's the, we we right to have a conversation about what what the EU looks like going forward and how it, how it operates. But it's, it would be naive to think that this isn't a that she isn't the face of the current EU. I think she actually is. I think that that's that's the sad reality of it. You I, know? I think you have a fair point in that, and I, and I'm literally pointing it out and saying the EU has taken a wrong turn, and um, that it was it is within the power of all of us. And I certainly think there is more than enough voices across Europe to say no, no, we are for the underdog. We are for the small person. We know Hamas has committed war crimes. None of us are saying they haven't, but the reply to that cannot be even greater. War crimes, not from what we understand a country to be. And Israel is a country. Hamas is not a country. Hamas is, is, is whatever you want to call them. They, you know, but it's not a country. We expect better manners from a country. Um, and we expect better manners from the EU. And von der Leyen getting on a plane and going out and shaking hands with people is absolutely outrageous. And I'm very glad and very, very rare I'll say this about Leo Varadkar. At least he stood up and had the temerity to say, no, this is not Ireland's position. And I'm glad he did so. And I will give him the praise for doing so. And I've always said it. When somebody does something right, they do it right. He did it right. Now we need that voice louder at the EU. And I see that it's two days away when they're going to have their emergency meeting. Well, the water's cut off now. The electricity is cut off now. So, you know, get your arses in gear. You're paid a lot of money. Do your job. Yeah, no, the, the one thing we will obviously continue to cover as it happens. But I was talking to um, Loe Albasani, the NASA space engineer, um, yesterday evening. His parents decided not to move on. They're they're elderly. They're staying in the clinic that his dad, his dad was a doctor, used to help treat people, obviously, who had seen some of the worst um, of the previous conflicts. They are German citizens now. They have dual citizenship like some do. Many like many in the in the area have 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 dual citizenship. And they can't get back. There's no agreement with the German government currently to open the border to let them out. So they've so they've decided to stay put. The water is short, and and Loe will join us to talk a little bit about it. But you know he's a he's now dual Palestinian American citizen, and he has no influence. The man can put a helicopter on Mars, but he can't get in touch with his parents. Uh, look, I, it's a one, lot. One one last thing from me on it, Tony, and again praise where it's due. Patrick Keelty on the Late Late Show, that was a really good thing he did. And it, you wouldn't have gotten that from Ryan Tuberty. And you ah, wouldn't have gotten it from him. No, I think, again, credit where credit's due. I, yeah, but 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 like, can I say something? Like we've been saying, I've said this to you four or five times, we live in a post-conflict society. We can see that, you know, even 25 years after the Good Friday Agreement, there's so much more of a longer road to travel. And, and re- right now... It's active conflict. Harry, can I come to you for your final thought and then we will wrap this up if that's okay? There's two things I want to say. Um, one of them is that I think it's very important that while, you know, in terms of messaging 
and in other factors as well. Um, the Irish state has for a long time uh, been sympathetic and supportive of the Palestinian cause, um, so Barack Obama is continuing the tradition of that. But let's not give ourselves too much credit here. Very good at talking a talk. As a nation, less good when it comes to concrete actions. And I think a really good example of that is that for the, we uh, have done everything to recognize Palestine as a state in Ireland, except actually do that. Graded their representation, representative mission to an embassy. Um, both houses of the Oireachtas, I believe at this point, have passed um, motions to recognize Palestine. Um, but Ireland still does not formally and officially recognize the state of Palestine as existing. And there are other European countries, I think Sweden do, and the Vatican, um, do recognize Palestine. It's not an impossibility. It's not a political impossibility at all. And it's always just struck me as very, very odd that A, um, a state that uh, the state has not done that, and B, that we do not see more pressure from the opposition for greater formalization and closer ties with Palestine as a way of doing this, as a way of putting pressure on in organizations like the EU, as a way of making our support more material, as a way of formalizing and making those channels more effective. It's always struck me as quite hypocritical that we haven't. And it always annoys me when this happens and I see um, no, it hasn't happened this time, but we've seen in the past you know, opposition parties would be like, oh, let's bring in a motion to expel the Israeli ambassador or whatever. It's like, okay, fine, that's not going to do anything. Um, why aren't you pushing harder for that formal diplomatic recognition? Why aren't you pushing harder for those closer ties? Why aren't we seeing more pressure being put on the state and on the government to back up its sympathetic rhetoric with actions that can make a more meaningful difference? I think this ties into your EU diplomacy thing as well. Um, and I think that's really, really important. And the second thing I want to say, and this is, I don't mean to gas you guys up or, you know, blow, blow, blow smoke, but genuinely, um, the work you guys have done in elevating uh, voices on the ground in Gaza and Palestine over the last few years has been tremendously important. Um, I think, you know, we don't have enough of that perspective and enough of those voices actually being given a platform in this country. And as much as this is, you know, as, as you said earlier, Tony, a, a podcast done by two guys in their, in their houses, yeah. it is tremendously important that we have that, um, so it feels you know it feels a bit weird for me coming on here, being asked to talk about that. You know, as somebody who is again um, only you know lives in Ireland and is Jewish, but it's, it's it's okay for me to do that. I feel because I know you guys have had those voices. You have I've listened to them on your podcasts. I've, I've listened to you elevate them, and um, I think it's tremendously important because it's something that we just don't do enough here to understand what the situation is actually like day by day, and so much of it gets filtered through commentators and politicians. Uh, in this country without actually putting those voices forward. And I just think that is tremendously important if we are to understand and hopefully have more of an influential role as a country uh, in averting and doing whatever can be done to resolve uh, this conflict, in the, in not the immediate flare-up, but in the, in the long run. Thank you, Farah, Harry. Thank you very much. Um, I think we will leave it there, folks. Um, really, uh, really tough week for everybody tough few days for everybody tough few times like it's a lot it is a lot but i really um appreciate the uh conversation we've had here and i think people will understand it's really important one final final point is that harry's right we could just recognize the state of palestine we may be a small country within the eu but it would then be 
a country with it with a voice that has done it and it would make things it'll, it would actually in, enhance the cause a lot so so thanks for that i really appreciate it uh, we'll be back during the week we will have some business as usual martin we we're hoping to speak to some of the councillors who'll be running in the in the elections that will be coming so we will have some more business as usual but l- without any doubt we'll be still continue to cover what's happening in gaza and palestine harry thank you and as i said at the outset missing the hell out of you on twitter thank you we leave it there, folks. Take care. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.